This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Talking about getting out of debt, let's talk about a debt strategy, Blair, and the idea that maybe a debt strategy can sometimes be the trap for folks. Um, I know you, you've talked about before that whether you, somebody considers your debt a, a minor nuisance or a major category or something that's growing, most Canadian consumers want to shrink their debts as fast as possible. So Blair, let's talk about mistakes people make that often keep them in debt longer and maybe some stuff on what people can do instead. Yeah, that, that's great, Elaine, to start there on some of the mistakes people make because you, you hit it right on the head. No one wants to be in debt as a permanent state. You know, it's not comfortable typically, especially if you feel like things are, are kind of running away from you. But sometimes the steps that you take to actually get yourself out of debt, um, they don't solve the problem. Sometimes they can compound into an even bigger problem. So right off the top, let's talk about a couple of things. So first is the idea of putting your assets at risk. So the mistake that people make sometimes is they say, you know, I've got certain assets and I'm mistakenly believe, oh my gosh, you know, those could be taken from me anyway if I don't pay my debt. So let me be in control. Let me cash in these assets to pay debt. And the number one blinking light that I just see and it breaks my heart sometimes is RRSP funds. So for any longtime listeners of our show, they would know this well, but for anyone who's just tuning in, uh, very clearly, RRSP funds are federally protected. So money that you save for your retirement, you can never be forced to cash that in to pay debts. You can never be forced to surrender any of those funds. And that's yours, the same as if it was a company pension plan. You know, there's a small exemption that if, you know, you put a bunch of money in and the year before you filed the bankruptcy, some of that would come out. But otherwise, any money you've had sitting in an RRSP, you know, it's safe from creditors no matter what. But the challenge that people run into is they say, you know, I've got money in my RRSPs. I think it's enough to clear my debt. And they cash in the RRSPs, which first off, that's giving their creditors more access than they would ever have to those funds. But secondly, there can be some unexpected costs, especially with RRSPs. Uh, There's tax withdrawals that are going to happen. There's tax withholdings at source. And sometimes that's not even enough. And you end up with a tax bill at the end of the year. So you thought you were going to get a certain amount. You end up getting less than that amount because the taxes that are withheld. And then you end up owing the government some money at the end of the year because you didn't anticipate the higher taxes and RRSP funds. And then the last, you know, kind of triple whammy on this one here uh, is then you don't have your retirement funds. And that can be very difficult to replace depending on your age and stage in life. So if you're thinking of cashing in your assets to pay your debts, you should stop, pause, get some advice, and definitely understand that your RRSP should never be cashed in to pay debts. And it's such a logical thing for people to think, listen, I've got this money. Um, I'm going to put it towards the debt. It's the right thing to do, the smart thing to do. For me, it'll make me feel better. But often it's, it's the worst thing that you can possibly do. 
Well, that's right. And if you if you know all the facts and you make that decision clear eyed saying, yeah, I'm willing to, to cash in my retirement to pay a bunch of taxes just to get out of debt. OK, you've made that with all information and that's OK. But my challenge is a lot of people that I, I break the news to them saying, you know, that was federally protected. You didn't have to do that. They, you know, they, they start to tear up sometimes. And, you know, I'm as compassionate as I can. But I wish they had asked me the questions beforehand before they'd taken such a drastic step. And sometimes they're counseled down that road by collection agents or even bank employees that say, oh, yeah, there's no protection for RRSPs, you know, you do it now or we're coming for them. So the person just wants to be in control. Uh, so definitely it's an unfortunate thing. If people take nothing else away from this, be careful about your RRSPs. Just don't cash them in. I think this is a, another good one to always remember. And it comes from a good place. People who love you and know you, who are family members or close people, want to give you a hand. And so they say, hey, you know, what can I do to help you here? Can I co-sign something for you to help you get out of debt? And again, this is a, a such a great explanation. It, it's the worst. Well, if not the worst, it's not a good thing to, to do is include others in, in your responsibility. It's highly risky. You know, it's very wrought with many different factors when you start to involve uh, where there's an emotional relationship already, whether it's a friend or a family member, and then you make it a financial relationship. Uh, there's a huge potential for that to backfire. It's something we always generally uh, suggest that you avoid. So if you co-sign a debt for somebody, you know, first off, you're signing to be 100% responsible for that debt. It's not the 50-50 that you might be thinking. You're on the hook for 100% if that person that you co-signed for can't pay. Um, and you can imagine if that person's having difficulty paying, you know, they're going to feel that much more emotional distress now letting you down the cosigner as well as all the other banks and credit card companies and things like that. And potentially starting to ruin your credit, the cosigner, because if a cosigned loan starts to get delinquent, that is going to have an impact on the cosigner's credit rating. So I've never seen a situation where cosigning a loan worked out very well for an individual if they have ended up having to restructure everything altogether. What can work out really well is give that person the support that they need to get help. So help them understand there's a licensed insolvency trustee out there. Help them understand there can be a consumer proposal remedy. And if you do want to help them financially, I'll help them reduce the debt through a trustee and then help them with that reduced balance through a proposal. That's not putting you at risk at all. And they're going to get some good counseling along the way. Everything's going to be very legally regulated all above board. So it's just going to be a better outcome than just deciding, yeah, I'm going to put my name on the line to help out this person. It can often backfire and end up in a worse situation. And to take that first step, I want to mention that Sands & Associates, this is their website that you can easily access. It's sands-trustee.com. Or if you want to give them a call, they've got a 1-800 number. It's 1-800-661-3030. And set up that appointment and sit down with somebody like Blair and talk about what options you may have. I know something that lots of folks think about doing is actually turning to lenders for solutions to manage their debts. Um, what are your insights on that as an idea? Well, that's almost where everybody, that's where almost everybody starts is, you know, I've got all this high interest debt. Can I at least consolidate it together, put it together at a lower interest rate? Logically, that makes a lot of sense. But, you know, first off, it's very difficult to consolidate a whole lot of debt unless you're willing to pledge some assets, which we said earlier, just don't do that. Uh, or unless you've got really stellar credit, uh, which a lot of folks, if they're juggling a bunch of debt, they've already maybe missed a few payments. So sometimes it's very difficult to get approved at a bank for a consolidation loan without having assets or a cosigner. And and if the bank isn't going to approve you, you might be looking at some, you know, we'll call them subprime lenders or alternative lenders or folks you might see advertising on the Internet sometimes. Uh, their rates for consolidation can be exceptionally high. 
Um, there can be a bunch of penalties if you don't pay on time. In some cases, you're putting your car at risk to consolidate uh, a bunch of other debts. So you've just got to be very careful if you're consolidating your debt that you're getting a reasonable rate. And also that you're actually able to afford that consolidation because even if you end up working with a credit counselor and they get you down to zero interest, you still got to pay off all your debts over a five-year period. Um, if it's a lot of debt, that might not be affordable. So you might be t- tying yourself to a consolidation that's just going to put you further and further into debt each month because you're starting to borrow to make that consolidation payment. So be very careful if, that if you do consolidate with a loan that is affordable for you and meets your circumstances. Okay, so we've covered a whole bunch of things that you shouldn't do. Let's skip to the things that you should do. Uh, there's a couple of really good tips here that I, that you've given me that people may want to consider. So let's focus on the, on the do's as we, uh, we've got about four or five minutes left in the segment, Blair. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. Let's, let's talk about the positive things. So the things that you can do. And a lot of times when people feel in debt, you know, they really feel out of control. They feel like everybody else is setting the rules of the game. And it's when you start to sit down, look at your options, put some numbers together, you can start to get back that sense of control. So one of the number one things I recommend is to try a financial calculator. And there's a bunch of financial calculators you'll find online. The government of Canada actually does a great job uh, in putting together a payment calculator and a financial goals calculator. So if you go on to Canada.ca, you you click around a little bit, but you will find, you know, I'm I'm an individual in debt. There's financial calculators there. You can see exactly um, how long it's going to take you to pay off a credit card bill or a line of credit bill uh, or things like that. And that can help put into perspective, you know, are you making progress doing what you're doing or do you need a different strategy? Um, On our website at sans-trustee.com, we've got a very simple, we call it the debt options calculator. You put in basically, you know, here's my circumstances, here's my amount of debt, show me my options for eliminating the debt based on on my income and and how much I can afford to pay back. And in literally 20 or 30 seconds, you're going to see, okay, if you owe $20,000 of debt, if you filed a proposal, well, the proposal might be able to be filed for $7,000 or $8,000, something like that. And you can see what the monthly payments would be. So it really can make it from this, you know, um, really difficult to understand foreign concept of what is a consumer proposal to say, hey, for my $20,000 of debt, a consumer proposal is $150 a month um, over a 50-month period, something like that, just picking some some relatively uh, strong numbers there. So definitely check out those calculators, see if there's something that jumps out to you that can help you understand if your current progress uh, is the best way for you to go, if there's some other options that might be better. I think one of the most important things that I think about when I think about your organization, Sands and Associates, and the kinds of work you do and how you do it, um, the number one idea that folks who are phoning you and sitting down with you, they're not alone. And you, I love the fact that you really stress that, that you're, that, which, you know, there's some compassion there and some empathy uh, from folks that are sitting down with people who are coming in the door. Well, that's exactly right, Elaine. So we know we're dealing with people, you know, not on the best days of their life when they pick up the phone or walk in the door uh, to the trustee's office or these days, you know, meet us by video conference. Um, you know, it's, it's a tough thing to, to, to live through, but uh, you definitely need to understand that debt is just a way of life for so many Canadians these days. And there's almost nobody that's going to go through their life without, you know, at least one or two, you know, serious concerns about debt at some point. They might be a new student who's just graduated wondering about their student loan. Um, they might be a single parent who's just 
struggling to make to make ends meet uh, and has a credit card bill that's been growing. But as soon as we can get past that idea that, you know, I'm alone in this and nobody cares, we can give the support, we can give the options, we can help people understand that, you know, in an average year in Canada, it's more than 100,000 individuals end up formally restructuring their debt, either with a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal. And in BC, it's often up to 1,000 individuals a month uh, are filing a bankruptcy or a proposal. You don't hear about it because it's a very private process. And usually it's only if you really trust somebody in your life, are you going to let them know, um, you know, yeah, I had to take some steps to restructure my debts. But more and more people are understanding, you know, the shame and the stigma. It's not always your fault that you end up in a debt situation that you can't get out of without help. And there's no shame in reaching out for that help. Um, you know, sometimes, and this is, you know, gratifying to do in the initial meeting, is just to spend a couple minutes thinking about, you know, what would your life be like if you didn't have that credit card bill every month? If you didn't have that payday lender calling you six times a day, you know, you can just imagine the mental clarity, the space that you have to actually become the person that you want to be if you're not really dragged down by the burden of debt at every hour. Yeah, and it's really important for folks to realize that only a licensed insolvency trustee is the one that's going to be able to formally work with you, either to uh, help you through a bankruptcy or get you into that consumer proposal. That's exactly right, Elaine. There's no referral that's needed. There's no upfront cost to ever meet with a trustee. You'll be able to get a meeting often the same day, sometimes even the same first phone call. You'll be sitting down with an expert to explain to you, here's all your options. Here's what Canadian law provides for you. This is all enshrined in law is to give people who've been honest but unfortunate a fair second chance to restructure their finances. So when you sit down with a trustee, it's nothing on the side of judgment. It's all inside of let's look at the information. Let's look at the situation. Let's understand, empathize, and put together a plan that's going to get you out of debt. So give them a call, 1-800-661-3030 for that consultation. Find an office near you. Check out their website at sands-trustee.com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Now, this is a great segment. If you've heard of consumer proposals before but don't quite know what it is, or maybe personal bankruptcy and what it looks like today. So there's a big difference between the two and how making a consumer proposal is different to filing for bankruptcy. And there's some key differences. Uh, So, Blair, since some people might not be familiar with the consumer proposal or bankruptcy, can we just start with definitions uh, and a bit of a summary on both of the processes? Yeah, definitely, Elaine. I'm really excited for today's segment because we're going to try in our in our 13 minutes to give a really good grounding of both of these options, compare and contrast where they're similar and they're different. And, you know, jumping right into it, uh, the idea of the ins and outs of each of these of these debt remedies, you know, most people don't research these until they're confronted with a debt problem. So having this knowledge in the back of your mind, hopefully it's going to help you if you're facing it, but also can help you help somebody in your life that you care about who might also be facing a financial difficulty. Personal bankruptcy, in a nutshell, it's a federally legislated legal process, not a mouthful, but essentially it means it's sanctioned by the law, and it allows you to eliminate your debts in the event that you're no longer able to meet your financial obligations. So in Canada, personal bankruptcy legislation can result in full forgiveness for virtually all of your debts and allows you to get a financial fresh start. So the wording in the law is it's a fresh, a fresh start for the honest but unfortunate debtor. If you've done your best, but you've had some unfortunate things happen to you, bankruptcy is the remedy that allows you to get back to zero, start fresh, and begin to rebuild your finances. Uh, a consumer proposal uh, is 
still available through a licensed insolvency trustees. The same person that would assist you with a bankruptcy can assist you with a consumer proposal, and it's a hugely popular alternative. In fact, two-thirds of people that come to see trustees in the province of BC typically opt to file a consumer proposal instead of a personal bankruptcy. And the way a consumer proposal works is it's similar to a debt consolidation where you make a single monthly payment um, over a set period of time, but the big difference with a debt consolidation is instead of having to pay back all the money plus some interest on top of that, a consumer proposal can drastically reduce the amount of debt you have to repay. It still considers your debts paid in full, but you can often reduce up to 50, even up to 80% of the debt that you're charged, and there's never another dollar of interest charged, um, as well as there's no additional fees for service on top of that. So if you owed someone $20,000, for example, you offered a proposal for 30% of that at $6,000, that's all you'd be required to pay all the costs of administration would be born out of, say, a regular monthly payment of $100 a month over 60 months. And those are reasonable numbers that we see quite often at Sands & Associates. Uh, what's nice is that with a consumer proposal is it's flexible. So you could decide you want to do monthly payments. It could be a single lump sum payment. The payments could scale up and down. Uh, but it's a very powerful means of avoiding bankruptcy um, if, if, if you have the ability to make some repayments. And, and what about your eligibility? How does that work for each of them? Yeah, eligibility is the same. Um, so you have to owe at least $1,000. And generally, nobody's filing bankruptcy or doing a proposal for $1,000. But people do it for, you know, five to $10,000. The average is probably in the range of thirty dollars to $50,000 or so these days. Uh, and for a consumer proposal, it's up to $250,000 at the debt level. And you can even do a proposal if you have higher debts than that. It's just a bit of a different legal, legal remedy. Um, but with a the bankruptcy, there's no constraints. You could do a bankruptcy for, you know, essentially an unlimited amount of debt. I've seen people you know, in the millions of debt, if perhaps they had an ICBC accident where they weren't covered, or perhaps a corporate guarantee of some debts if the business failed and they were on the hook. But a bankruptcy, there's no constraint on the amount of the debt. A proposal, essentially, you're going to try to repay some portion of it. So if it's a huge amount of debt, trying to pay back, you know, 10% of a million dollar debt, that's very difficult to do compared to 10% of, you know, a $40,000 debt. Well, that's a whole lot easier to do. So you've just got to be, be clear. It's a, an affordable amount is essentially your constraint with a consumer proposal. And, and both ways uh, include pretty much all types of debt, right? Yeah, and that's a real surprise to a lot of folks because a lot of people I sit down with, they say, okay, I know you guys can help me with the credit cards, uh, but I know the government, my gosh, they're going to get their pound of flesh no matter what, you can't assist with that. And that's just completely incorrect. A trustee is the only person that can assist with government debt, like taxes, student loans, ICBC debt, so on and so forth. Uh, in general, a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal can include virtually all kinds of debt. Um, your general consumer and business debts, you know, I mentioned your credit cards, lines of credit, overdrafts payday loans, even personal debts owing to an individual. Uh, we've talked about government debts, student loans. Um, so it really is just about all inclusive. There's a small number of debts that no matter the remedy, they can't be reduced. And these are the more common sense debts that you would think you probably shouldn't be able to reduce. So something like a child support obligation, um, something like an alimony amount that's awarded by court, um, or if you've been taken to court uh, for an assault charge and there's been a monetary award against you, it's very specific things, um, that can't be discharged if you go in through bankruptcy or do a consumer proposal, but essentially any debt that was honestly incurred, aside from, again, those support type of obligations, um, you can help, you can restructure and then discharge either in a consumer proposal or a personal bankruptcy proceeding. 
such good information, Blair, and there's a lot of it. So I just want to mention to folks who are listening, going, oh, my gosh, I feel a bit overwhelmed by all of this. It's so easy to go to the website, sands-trustee.com, and it's filled with great questions and answers. Pretty much every question you may come up with, uh, there's going to be a good answer for you. Or if you want to go ahead and make that appointment and, and sit down and talk with someone like Blair or Blair himself, 1-800-661-3030. And I just want to throw in, they have offices all over British Columbia. So, Blair, let's get back to it. What are some of the other ways options differ when it comes to negotiation and overall repayment? Yeah, there's a very key difference between a bankruptcy and a proposal because in a bankruptcy, essentially, it's your decision, your decision alone. No creditors can reject your decision to file a bankruptcy. You don't need permission from anybody. You sit down with a trustee, you file the bankruptcy documents, and you're generally going to be entitled to 100% forgiveness uh, of all of your debts. Uh, Now, where a consumer proposal works is a consumer proposal, there is an option for your creditors. Any proposal could be accepted or rejected, so your creditors do have a say on whether your proposal is going to succeed. And the way a proposal is, you know, essentially the the idea behind it is it's meant to be a win-win. So the win to you is you avoid a bankruptcy filing altogether, because if anybody could avoid a bankruptcy, typically they're interested in at least investigating that. The win to your creditors is they receive more money back than if you had filed for bankruptcy. So when we file a consumer proposal, we show the creditors a page that has two columns on it. One is here's a hypothetical bankruptcy proceeding. This is the individual's option. They could file this tomorrow with no notice to you creditors until it's done, um, and you'll have to be forced to accept, you know, sometimes it's zero recovery, sometimes it's five or 10 cents on the dollar. Uh, We contrast that with a consumer proposal where we say the person doesn't want to go into bankruptcy and you creditor, I'm sure, would like to get back as much of the debt as possible. So how about we work together with the client and you receive, say, a 30% repayment of the debt over time. 95 out of 100 of our proposals are accepted right off the bat. Creditors agree with our first offer. The other 5%, sometimes there's some negotiations back and forth, but it's about 99% of the time proposals get accepted by creditors. And that sounds pretty high, I understand, but it's also the case not all of your creditors even have to agree to get a proposal accepted. So if you owe, say, five people money all of the same amount, um, all we need is a majority in dollar value say yes to the proposal. So if three of those individuals said yes, uh, the other two, even if they said there's no way on God's green earth will we accept, you know, writing off 80% of our debt, accepting 20% back, well, if the other creditors holding a majority of the debt have said yes to that proposal, it's legally binding, it's enforceable against everybody, nobody can opt out, even if it's the government that says they don't want this proposal, if your other debts outweigh the government and your other debts say yes, it's all acceptable, legally binding, and you've got the protection of doing that proposal. I know you've got some other examples on some of the differences in flexibility between bankruptcy and making a proposal. Do you want to talk briefly about those? Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Elaine. There's just so many things that we could go uh, go down on. I, I think we definitely want to, want to focus on things that are most important. So, you know, a stay of proceedings, um, that's a legal term, and that's applicable to both a personal bankruptcy or a consumer proposal. And what that means is you get protection. So a lot of people understand, you know, instinctively, if you file for bankruptcy, it means people have to leave you the heck alone. They have to stop calling you. They have to stop harassing you. There can be no court proceedings taken against you. That's the same protection you receive in a consumer proposal as in a personal bankruptcy. So it's not the case you need to go bankrupt to get protection. You can get the same protection when you file a consumer proposal. Uh, I think it's important for us to talk about monthly payments as well, uh, because there is quite a difference between how a personal bankruptcy and a consumer proposal are structured in terms of monthly payments. Uh, And the way a bankruptcy works 
is a bankruptcy is based on your household income. So most bankruptcies require you to just pay the cost of administration. It's about 80% of the time. If someone files for bankruptcy, they're usually considered low income. And in that situation, they pay a minimum fee of $200 a month for nine months. And that's all they have to pay in total is $1,800. That's regardless of the amount of the debt. It could be $10,000, $100,000, or a million. The payments don't scale at all based on the amount of the debt. They just scale based on your monthly income. And that contrasts with the consumer proposal, where the payment is just what percentage can you afford to repay on the debt, and you can divide those payments over a maximum term of 60 months. So an example that, that we had reviewed before, Elaine, uh, is if you had a consumer proposal of you had debts of $40,000, a typical offer might be to give your creditors a 30% repayment, which is $12,600, and you could pay that at $350 a month over 36 months. Or if you extended it out to 60 months, you could pay it for $210 a month, but your total amount is just the 30% of that total of $40,000. So your debts go from $40,000 to $12,600, and you get the time you need to make those reduced payments to pay off that reduced balance. How big a difference is it between the consumer proposal and bankruptcy for your time to complete each one? Well, a bankruptcy is typically going to be over a little bit more quickly. So, you know, a nine-month bankruptcy is about as quick as you could ever deal with a problem debt situation in Canada. Now, some proposals are over relatively quickly. If it's a lump sum proposal, let's say, you know, a third party, perhaps a family member or a friend wants to give you some money to pay off a reduced balance of your debt, well, a proposal might be over and done within the space of two or three months. But that's not the regular, uh, that's not the everyday, typically a consumer proposal. It's going to be payments over a period of usually two to four years, a maximum of five years, and it can be done as soon as you're able to pay it off. So a proposal is definitely more flexible in terms of the timing. Uh, A bankruptcy can be as short as nine months, but if you're not low income, a bankruptcy will run for a year longer than that, uh, which is 21 months in total. And if you filed a bankruptcy before, which sometimes about 15% of people that file one bankruptcy sometimes need to get that help again in the future, the bankruptcy term can last longer, can be a couple of years uh, as a base there as well. So the timing can differ quite a bit on each situation. Now, I was going to spend the last couple of seconds, Blair, giving you an opportunity to talk about why it's such a good idea to talk to a licensed insolvency trustee, but I'm you just really just gave us the best example ever by explaining all of the all of the differences and the and the pieces of of filing for bankruptcy or fi- or filing a consumer proposal. So well done. And I want to also mention to to go to the website sands-trustee.com if you've got more questions. Uh, it's just filled with such good, clear, easy to understand uh, answers for all of your questions. As well as I want to encourage you to give them a call at one eight. 661-3030. Sands and Associates has offices all over British Columbia. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. We're talking about debt settlement agents, credit counselors, and trustees, and what's the difference? And the really interesting thing I think you'll find about this segment is debt settlement agents. It's it's a new t- it's a new term for me to understand what it is. And of course, if you're considering getting professional help, it's super crucial uh, for you to be able to make a fully informed decision about the organization or individual that you choose to work with before moving ahead. So, Blair. Can you talk to us and why this is such an important topic for listeners to really listen to? 
Certainly, Elaine. So I'm really excited to talk about this topic today because, you know, one of the things that I'm passionate about is really leveling the playing field uh, when it comes to debt help services. And for most people, they never expect to face a debt problem. So they usually haven't spent a whole lot of time to understand, you know, who's who, what's the lay of land, who can you trust and not. Um, And sometimes it can seem like a pretty uneven playing field where the person that you're seeking for help, they have all the knowledge, uh, you have very little knowledge. um, So you really do need a little bit of a grounding to understand well, what's the question? What are the questions you should ask? What's some general ideas about how the industry is structured? Who's going to have the authority, the expertise, the legal power, even the trustworthiness to really help you with what, with what could be one of the most difficult problems you may face in your life, being in debt? Uh, you know, a lot of the time you can engage services other than a licensed insolvency trustee, but it really is a buyer beware caution. You've really got to be careful about the services you're actually getting and make sure your expectations are going to be met. Okay. So can you start with some of the basics when it comes to working with what you've called a debt repayment agent? Yeah, so we did a ton of research for, for this uh, segment just to make sure we have all the terminology correct, because even as a trustee, things do change quite a bit, and we try to keep up to date. Now, a debt repayment agent or a debt settlement agency, you may hear those terms interchangeably, uh, those are individuals or companies who offer to represent you uh, with your creditors, and they charge a fee for that. So they say they might get in the middle between you and your debts and try to negotiate, make some repayment arrangement, and even sometimes administer payments directly to your creditors. Uh, sometimes credit counseling agencies also provide this role, uh, but usually it's a standalone firm. And what a debt repayment or a debt settlement agent would do is they're going to negotiate with the people you owe money to and offer them a lump sum of money, usually less than what you owe, to settle your debts in full. And if the creditor agrees to that offer, then you provide that lump sum to your debt repayment agent, uh, who then will pay the creditor directly. Okay, well, it sounds pretty good, but there's obviously some big challenges that you need to be aware of. Yeah, you know, three big ones here. Uh, One is that it's an informal process and your creditors don't have to negotiate with the agent. So a lot of creditors simply won't deal with a debt settlement company or even a credit counselor working on your behalf. Anything to do with government that is just a non-starter. And even outside of the big banks, a lot of firms just really won't won't work with an independent debt settlement agent. Now, the second thing to continue to consider here is if you had a lump sum of cash ready to pay off your debts, you might not be reaching out for debt help. So a lot of the time, you know, people don't have that lump sum and the debt settlement agent might say, okay, well, you know, we can get a 50% reduction, but do you have the 50% ready tomorrow? And your answer is no, that's going to take me, you know, six months or a year to save up. The debt settlement agent say, okay, well, you know, we'll wait. But during that time, your debts are going unpaid, interest is being added, you're being harassed, maybe you're even being taken to court. And that actually dovetails to the third item here, which is you've got no protection from your creditors when you're dealing with the debt settlement agent. So sometimes your agent will tell you, stop making the payments to creditors, we're going to communicate on your behalf. But that can aggravate or cause your situation to become worse, especially if your creditors escalate to legal action against you, which your debt settlement agent would have no ability to stop whatsoever. Now, is a debt settlement agent under uh, licensing or their fees involved? How does that work for them? Yeah, so it is a little bit of, of a more more murky area than not, but there is some clarity based on licensing. It's a number of years ago, I believe it was in 2016, uh, BC created this role in their consumer protection legislation and said that anyone who's defined as a debt repayment agent, if they charge a fees to act for you or represent you with your creditors, they have to be licensed with consumer protection BC. Now, 
it's important to understand, you know, just being licensed doesn't mean that that's a regulated industry. It doesn't mean the government has approved this service or even that it's legally sanctioned. Uh, it just means that, you know, essentially they've gotten the license from Consumer Protection BC. And what Consumer Protection BC requires that in any debt repayment contract, there's a specific statement that says that the services of this agent are not provided on behalf or in affiliation with the province of BC or Consumer Protection, and that using the services of a debt repayment agent will not necessarily improve your credit rating, deter the efforts of a creditor to collect a debt, or prevent legal action to recover the debt, including garnishment of your wages. So part of the advantage of having these agents licensed is they have to be really clear with these disclosures that you know they may not be able to achieve what they're promising, and you're going to see that directly in any contracts that you sign. Uh, but now okay. there's also some guidelines around maximum fees and disbursements that you can be charged. And this was another benefit of having some regulation. Uh, if your debt repayment agent actually negotiates a settlement to your creditors and you make a repayment in a plan that lasts for 90 days or more, the fees you're going to pay are 15% of the gross amount to be received. So a 15% commission before it goes to your creditors. And then a one-time charge up to the average amount of the monthly payment that you're making. So, you know, that can be significant depending on the amount of your debt. So you need to understand, you know, nothing's being provided for free and the fees can be up to 15 percent of what's being being reduced. Can you elaborate more on that, Blair? Well, what happened in 2016 uh, is there were changes to Consumer Protection Act in B.C. and it required that BC-based companies were licensed, and it required that they stop charging upfront fees. So, again, those fees that I talked about, that can only be charged once a deal is actually reached. But it's still far from being a regulated industry because there's no prohibition on non-BC-based companies from targeting BC consumers with their services and promises. Um, And there's nothing to prevent organizations who do act as your debt settlement or debt repayment agency for charging you for other services, sometimes consulting, referral fees, credit rebuilding fees, whether they're licensed in BC or not. It's only the debt settlement aspect of their business that has the fee restrictions around it. Okay. Um, So can we move on then? Just we've just got about a minute or so, two minutes left in this segment. Do you want to explain the difference between the debt repayment agent and the credit counselor? Yeah, certainly. So I think it's another uh, very important area for listeners to understand is around credit counselors, that it's not a government licensed profession or a regulated industry. Essentially, anybody can call themselves a credit counselor. They're not legally required to have any specialized education or training. And there are some accreditations for credit counselors, but they're self-regulated accreditations. So, you know, it's essentially the industry regulating itself. Uh, Credit counseling, it's a term that can describe a number of different health services, but essentially the main product is what's called a debt management plan. Um, We're going to talk about a debt management plan in a little bit more detail, but that's where you put all of your debt together, you stop the interest, and you get about five years to pay off that balance. But you need to also understand credit counselors often play a dual role and they often act as collection agents. Even in the province of Ontario, every credit counselor is required to register as a collection agent because essentially they are working on behalf of the lenders to try to get as much money back as possible. Uh, How it usually works is with a credit counselor's debt management plan, they're going to contact your creditors, try to negotiate an informal arrangement where you consolidate all your debts into a monthly repayment plan. They may agree to stop charging ongoing interest, which, you know, that's the main benefit. Um, But normally you're still going to repay 100% of the debt plus some counselor fees on top of it. Um, It's not a legally sanctioned solution. And again, as we talked about government debt, um, there's really no ability to deal with any government income taxes, student loans, or any other types of debts like that. 
Okay, well, and in finishing off this segment, um, in part two of this, we're going to talk about credit counseling further and some key differences between the informal plans and the legal consolidation with a consumer proposal and working with a licensed insolvency trustee. If you want to get a hold of Sands & Associates, very easy to do. Uh, their phone number, 1-800-661-3030, or visit their website, sands-trustee.com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. This is part two of uh, uh, just a two-parter that we're doing on debt settlement agents, credit counselors, and trustees, and talking about what the difference is. So if you're considering getting uh, professional debt help, it's really important to make a fully informed decision before moving ahead. So in the first part, Blair Manton talked about uh, just ways for us to better understand debt settlement agencies and plans that credit counselors offer, as well as that fine print that consumers should be aware of. So in this segment, we're going to talk about how credit counseling debt management plans work and when such a plan might be suitable as a debt solution. Thanks, Blair. Oh, my pleasure, Elaine. Again, happy to continue on with, with this segment. So we're going to talk more today about how credit counselors, whether for profit or non-for-profit, what service they actually provide. And essentially what they're going to do is they're going to contact your creditors and try to negotiate an informal arrangement. I say informal because it's not legally sanctioned. It's based on everybody agreeing to participate, but an informal arrangement where you consolidate your debts or your eligible debts at least uh, into a monthly payment plan. So because credit counseling is an informal consolidation plan, you normally don't reduce your debt at all, uh, but your eligible creditors are likely going to agree to stop charging you ongoing interest. So in general, the big banks in Canada, if you're working with a credit counselor, they'll agree to freeze your interest, uh, but you have to agree that you're going to repay 100% of the debt outstanding over a period of up to five years. And there's typically some fees on top of that, whether for-profit or not-for-profit organizations organizations, there typically is a fee that you pay in addition to paying back 100% of your debt. Uh, that's different than a debt settlement agent, which we spoke about in the first segment, where they're attempting to negotiate a one-time payment with a lump sum settlement to settle the debt once and for all, where a credit counselor, typically they're doing a debt management plan, doesn't require you to have the lump sum of money saved, you just start making the payments uh, over up to a five-year period. Now, again, as we spoke in the first segment, so just very quickly, anybody can call themselves a credit counselor, so you really do need to investigate closely uh, who you're dealing with. Um, and you need to be really lasered in on the idea that these are voluntary uh, offers with your creditors. Creditors can opt out at any point, um, and a lot of common debts can't be negotiated or consolidated through informal plans. So any amount owing to a government uh, or ICBC or student loans, they're just not going to be able to be dealt with at all in a credit counseling or in a, uh, in a debt settlement agency plan. So it really is the case of buyer beware when you're dealing with either the credit counseling debt management way or uh, the other one. Exactly, Elaine. It's what you don't know can hurt you. So really take a careful look at the agency or the organization and also know that the government of Canada has posted some pretty, uh, I would say, pointed consumer alerts aimed at both debt, debt settlement companies and credit counselors. And just reading uh, an excerpt, uh, government of Canada is putting in their alerts, some companies offering to help pay off debt or repair credit are misleading consumers. We're going to talk about some of those what they tend to mislead upon, but definitely take that uh, to heart and be aware 
some credit counseling agencies may promote a debt management plan over other options because they make money from creditors by getting a percentage of the debt that they recover. And that's essentially my big challenge uh, with someone who goes to see a credit counselor first. They often don't get a fair assessment of their options because if the credit counselor is very well informed and understands, well, this person could probably easily do a consumer proposal. The credit counselor does the right thing by the client, but they do the wrong thing for their own business because they don't make any funds on that if they refer somebody elsewhere. So the government has seen that happening on a widespread basis and really put out a very, again, pointed consumer alert. Uh, other things to consider is you need to look at does the company have any standing with a provincial or a national association you know at a minimum are they registered with consumer protection bc and you can check all of that online easily uh, anyone you're going to work with to get advice on paying back your debts you want to confirm what sort of training what credentials do they have and understand there is no base level of training or credentials that any credit counselor must have in canada there's various accreditations but they're all self-monitored um, self adjudicated, nothing like what a licensed insolvency trustee must go through, and be very careful about advertising that might imply some claims of quickly improving your credit score or being affiliated with some government program. The only government program to, to help you release your debts are accessible through a licensed insolvency trustee, either a personal bankruptcy uh, or a consumer proposal. And then finally, just be really clear about any fees. Are you going to pay a consultation fee or a referral fee? Um, you know, what's this going to cost you at the end of the day? So, and I just want to throw in here too, if you want, um, just if you've got more questions, check out uh, Sands and Associates website. It's so good. It's sands-trustee.com. And they've got pages of really good questions and really easy to understand answers uh, for any questions that you've got. Or if you want to go ahead and set up that first appointment or talk to somebody, 1-800-661-3030 is the number. So um, do you want to go over the, the list of what a credit counseling debt management plan uh, may work for folks? Yeah, I think let's do that, Elaine. And then let's talk about you know, you know how a trustee can help and maybe some misconceptions people have in the last few minutes of the segment here. So sure. in terms of when a credit counseling plan can work, there's definitely situations where a credit counselor may be uh, you know, a very good person to help a client. If you've got a relatively small amount of debt, so, you know, under 10000 or perhaps even under 5000 or very high income compared to your debt load, you know you can afford uh, to repay 100% of your debt uh, plus the fees for service. So you're going to be able to make those monthly payments without issue. Or if you just have very basic unsecured debts like a credit card, a line of credit, it's things through the big bank, you know, it's a relatively small problem, you're able to solve it on your own. For just about every client that I've seen where they've started to work with a credit counselor on a debt management plan, it's been pretty clear clear for me and to the client from the start that this was not an affordable solution. This was a monthly payment that maybe they could make for a few months, but at the expense of, you know, actually living and putting themselves into hardship. And when we were actually able to file a consumer proposal, for example, we were able to save them just a ton of money and give them a much better quality of life. Excellent. Okay, we've got two and a half minutes left, Blair. Let's talk mm -hmm. about the common misconceptions that people have about licensed insolvency trustees. Uh, you, you've mentioned it a couple of times, um, but we, you and I both know there's lots of people who've never heard that term before and what a consumer proposal is. So can we talk about some of the, the misconceptions about it? 
Yeah, yeah. Three lets it off the top relatively quickly is who does an LIT work for? So if you start to do some research, you may find some debt repayment agents or even credit counselors will be saying, you know, don't go to an LIT. They work for your creditors. That's completely false. An LIT is an independent officer of the court. We don't accept any money from banks, lenders or other creditors, which is completely the opposite of a credit counselor, for example, who generally the lion's share of their funding um, is commissions from creditors on the debt that they're able to get paid back. So an LIT is your best ally and independent person when you're in the eye of the storm to help you figure out your way forward. Uh, a second misconception people have is that they come to see a trustee, it's a matter of public record. Well, nothing to do with our consultations is ever public. And if somebody does do a filing, whether it's a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy, theoretically, someone could search a government database to find that. But you have to register for that database. You have to pay $8 every time you search. It's generally you're not going to have your family, your friends, your neighbors typically know about an insolvency proceeding. Uh, and finally, just in terms of fees, all fees for debt help services through a licensed insolvency trustee are set by the government and there's no upfront fee for service. So anytime you're going to start a proposal or a bankruptcy, the trustee's going to sit down, work out what you can afford, but it's going to cost you nothing until you're actually executing on a debt repayment plan that you can actually afford that works in your budget that the trustee can sign off with you because they believe there's a great likelihood of success. Yeah, that's excellent. And we've got about 40 seconds left. I just think it's so important that, that and maybe you can repeat it again in such a, in a different way the, about the fee structure, because a licensed mm-hmm. insolvency trustees, you have to make money, you have to survive, but you do it so differently than the other organizations do. Yeah, I think it is worth reiterating. So in terms of fees, if you're doing a consumer proposal, whatever you're able to repay on your debts, if it's 30% of the total, that's all you pay. The trustee gets paid out of those amounts. Uh, If you need to file for a personal bankruptcy, you stop paying all of your other debts. And for most bankruptcies in Canada, they run for nine months. You pay $200 for each of those nine months and you're discharged from however much debt you might have been in. So it's nothing up front and it's generally nothing beyond what you can afford to repay on the debts. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. See you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.